This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Let's start this up. Hi. I'm Steve Zimmerman. You have uh, probably seen me before. I look like Ami. And uh, for those who don't know me, I'm here from uh, Skokie Shiva in Chicago. Not here on a recruitment trip, but if you want to live a life that's worth living, then you should be here. So you should just join me and come. So either way, that's, that's how we're going to start off over here. Of course, I want you to stay in our still forever. That's the honest truth. And I'm never going to ask you to do anything more than that. But it just happens to be that if you're going back to America and you're not a loser, then I would eventually, I would hope that I, was go- I would see you at some point. Um, so I printed this out because uh, I wasn't sure what I was going to say. I happen to be by a friend of mine, and I haven't done this before, so it's going to be a little bit more interesting how to go through all this. So let's start off. We are going to talk about what does it mean that there was a ladder that was facing the ground, and the head went all the way up to the Shemaim. So I'll tell you, and I'll preface this with this story. I was going to start off with a joke, but I had a little bit of an issue before I came here. So I hadn't eaten lunch or dinner. So a friend of mine decided he was going to go bring me dinner, and he was going to go just where I was right before, and then he, he came and he brought me dinner. So he said to me right before he left, he's just like, I, you should know, a good friend of mine, we've been friends for a long, long time, and he's been through a lot. It's really been a, a long time. And he said to me, you should know, I'm having a lot of problems right now. I said, what do you mean? He said, I really, I'm, ever since what happened in Harnov, when people were killed after seeing, those, after seeing those pictures, I personally have not seen the pictures. I won't. I won't look at the pictures. But after seeing those pictures, he said, I'm really having a difficult time. Difficult time, why a Kurdish Bible does these things. Now, remember, when somebody says something like that to you, their question has nothing to do with the situation at hand. It has nothing to do with that specific instance. It's really, this is a, a boiling up of all these little things together that just, this just threw them off a little bit. What does it mean? How can a person who's in the middle of davening, davening Shimon Esra, well, they're up in Shemaim, Roshul Magia Shemaim. How could it be that a person passes away that is killed in such a fashion? How could that happen? So I'm not, I, I don't profess to know any answers. There's no way that I'm going to be able to know any answers. But I told them, I said, I, I literally had maybe, maybe a minute before I was going to be able to come here, and I wasn't sure we had to go. So I told them, listen, I'm just going to tell you one thing. The Shabbos before anything happened, and I said this in a Muslim Shmuz in Skokie, and I said, the Shabbos before anything happened, I, I talked about a time at a crow. Rechaim Knievsky mentions this in Parshish Chayasari. He asked, how is it possible that Sari Menu passed away while going through the Akeda? How is it shy that she passed away while the Akeda was happening? Now, Shluchay Mitzvah in Nizokin. We know that if you're in the midst of a Mitzvah, you're not going to be hurt. So if it's Shluchay Mitzvah in Nizokin, so it should be that nothing should happen to Sari Menu when, when the whole Akeda was happening. Although Sari Menu wasn't directly involved in the Akeda, she was indirectly involved. So how could that be? So the answer is, and it's a crazy answer, says Rechaim, is that when a person's time comes for him to die, sometimes the Kaddish Baruch was masminate that they pass away at a time of a mitzvah. And that if they were supposed to pass away in some other way, a Kaddish Baruch if they're Zohar, they get to die during Shas mitzvah, specifically during that time. But that Sari Menu passed away during the Akedah for that reason. Not professing to know anything, that's ridiculous. Nobody should say things like this. But it's possible to apply that idea for those who are having a lack of faith due to the issue of what happened, how could it be that a person passed away, those who die, the Shas Mitzvah, go to the highest level of Olam Haba without any barriers. So if that's Shaykh to be able to answer, that's an idea that can go through, that's something to start us off. Now why is that Shaykh to what we're talking about? So let's go a little bit over here. Rosh tells us the Malachim that ended up going up, up those la- up the ladder. Sulamu Sivarta, Roshamagiyah where the angels that 
couldn't travel to Chutzlarts because there were angels of Eretz Since there were angels of Eretz there were others. They went up, the ones that were in Eretz The other ones, Chutzlarts angels, came down. Three years ago, I believe, I said over a little bit of a shot based on Targum Yenuz and Muzil. Targum Yenuz and Muzil says that the two Malachim were the same two Malachim that came to visit Avon. You know, there were three Malachim there. Those were Paul, Michal, and Gabriel. Gabriel was one that destroyed Sidon. Michal was one that told Avon they were going to have a baby, or sorry, they were going to have a baby. Rapal was the one that ended up healing Avon Vino, and one of them, Rapal and Rapal, because Makhluk is Tosus Rashi, one of them ended up going to Sodom and ended up staying low. Now, in that process of Gabriel slash Michal or Michal Rapal ended up taking them out, while they were going out, they said, Mashkisa Menachem was the Makhluk, was that we are destroying this place. Not Mashkisa Shem, they said, Mashkisa Menachem was the Makhluk, was that we are going to destroy this. Now, Malachim do not have Bechira. If they're in a human form, however, they do have an ability to make decisions, they do have the ability to say things that normal people would also be punished for. So therefore, they were punished, they said, that they had to stay down on earth for 137 years. They remained on earth for 137 years watching over Yitzchak Avinu and then Yaakov Avinu until finally here, when Yaakov Avinu was about to leave Eretz Yisrael, right then is when they were Olim, says Yonas Muzil. They went up to Shemayim and when they went up to Shemayim they said, do you want to see a person whose face is on the keys? Like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. So they said, we're going to go down. All the Malachim came down to go look at Yaakov Avinu and those are the Malachim that were Olim, the Yordim, both. Specifically on him, somebody that's going to be there. That's the first part. That's Yonas Muzil. Question is, why is all this necessary? Why do we need to know what's going on with this dream and what does this dream mean? At the end of the day, this is really the first Nebuah the Yaakovino ever had. Again, Yaakovino is how old by the time that he got the Brothos? Anybody know? You can guess this. 63 altogether. 63 years altogether. He then went to Yeshiva Shein Neighbor for? 14 years. I've always had it as sort of like Yitzhak Avinu and Rivka Yimeno coming in and just saying like, son, I think we need to have the talk. <laughs> You're 63 years old. <laughs> we want some Jewish grandchildren. Asa's just not doing it for us. I think maybe it's time for you to you know, think about getting married. This shit up crisis is because of you. <laughs> we tried to get you married off at 16, like Mishpacha told us, but you know, it's just not... It's just not happening. We're trying so hard. So Yaakov Avinu is like, you know, I, I think mom, dad, I agree. I, I, think it's, I think it's about time and he's stroking his really long white beard and he's sitting there and he's saying, yeah, I think it's time. I'm just a little worried. I, I'm afraid. I think I need another year or two of yeshiva. So Yitzchak and Ripka were from, so they were like, oh, another year or two of yeshiva? Okay, we can deal with another year or two. How many years do you need? Fourteen. Are you kidding me? What are you kidding me? It's unbelievable. Fourteen years old. He's seventy-seven when he goes to Rahoya. That's when he throws the rock off the well. That's why it's a huge feat of strength. He's seventy-seven. Seventy-seven. And he goes up to Lavan and says, Lavan, I'd like to work for you for your daughters. How long? Seven years. Lavan's like, you, are you sure you're not going to die? <laughs> you're so old. You're like my great-grandfather. Are you serious? You're, you're, you're willing to go? At 80, Eighty-four is when he had kids. Now, granted, he made it all well. For it. I mean, and seven years later, he had 22 kids. It's impressive. But nonetheless, right, we're talking, right, at 84, this is when he comes into play, and that's when he's ready to get married. So, what's the point? This is his first Nevoah. For 77 years, years, he's been learning. 77 years, he's been sitting and learning everything there could be. He's the Amudat Torah, the Amud of MS. He got everything there could be. And he still has never gotten a Nevoah. Never had a Nevoah. Now, he's, if you notice, this is a pattern in the Torah. First time that Avram Aminu got a Nebuah, does anybody know? It's late. 70 or 75. 
right? Now, Yitzchok Avinu was a bit of a suffix exactly when he got it, but it was somewhere around the age of 65, 70, something like that. Okay? Yaakov Avinu gets it right now at the age of 77. Most Rabinu gets it at 80. Guys, there's hope for you. There's hope. Don't think that it's going to come. 80 years old, Moshe Rabbeinu was told that he's the Mashiach of Klal Yisrael. That he's going to save everybody. He was living with a non-Jew outside of Mitzrayim and had no shaykhs to Jews for 60 years. And he was told that he's going to be the Mashiach of Klal Yisrael. So you really have hope. You really have hope. It's, it's more. Avram Avinu, Yitzchak Avinu, Yaakov Avinu never got a Nebuah when they were young. They were not these people they might dream of as they were like the grunt, finished shots at the age of three. It wasn't like that. They worked on themselves and worked on themselves and worked on themselves and then after everything was said and done and when they were this old now they got a Nebuah so this is Yaakov Yinu's first Nebuah he receives others but this is his first Nebuah so it's obviously a message for the rest of his life and since Yaakov Yinu represents what B'nai Yisrael are in Gullus, and that's what he is that means that the lesson that the Sulem teaches us has to be something which is all encompassing something that's going to teach us something for all of our lives in everything we do and I'm going to mention six different points that's going to help us understand what our lives are all about number one, the Ramban. The Ramban says that everything that happens in our world is governed by a Kaddish Baruch You can never think that there's anything that's done that isn't within a Kaddish Baruch When there's a plan, there's a purpose to everything, whether or not we understand it, and it's that. Granted, you just lost all of your money to Alifaz. That just happened. He lost everything. Don't worry, he tells Yaakov Avinu. Even though you're running away from your brother Asim and you think you're going to be killed, don't worry. I'm here the entire time. I have a plan. I know what I'm doing. Says the Kaddish Baruch And if you don't think so, look at the Sulam. I've got my welcome surrounding you at all times. I have something there for you. You should know that I am taking care of you and everything's going to be. This is the message for us in Gullus. No matter how bad it seems, no matter how terrible things have been, and things have been really horrible for us. What do you think people were thinking as the Holocaust was going on? Or the Kalmaniki massacres? Or the Crusades? Or the Inquisition? Or anything that happened to Christ all the past 2,000 years? It's been horrid. But every single time they sat there and they said, there has to be a plan. There has to be something behind it. There's no way it could be otherwise. There's no way we can understand it. Not Matzivah Kharshbar who was standing me nay Hashem needs Savalo said this before I'm going to say it really quickly it's not part of the entire speech it's more than that Yaakovino is lying down on the ground the Medrash tells us the Medrash Tanchuman Perak Beis says in this week's parasha goes through the second parak in this week's parasha says that Yaakovino was asked by a Kodesh Baruch to join him up the ladder Yaakovino come with me says the Kodesh Baruch come with me climb the ladder come up to me on top and Yaakovino said no he said no said Hashem said I'll hold your hand I'll bring you up and Yaakovino said no so everybody asks, what in the world is Yaakovinu doing? Why wouldn't you go up to Akash Baruch? The end of the measure says, You know why? Because Yaakovinu knew that there were going to be people in Klai Yisrael that were not going to be deserving of being saved. Certain people can climb up the ladder and other people can't. So the people who are going to climb up the ladder, those are the United guys who are going to be saved. And the people who don't climb up the ladder, what, they're going to be lost? Yaakovinu lies down on the ground with a rock under his head. You ever slept with a rock under your head? You know why you haven't? Because it's hard. And he wakes up in the morning and he sees 12 rocks turn into one. And he's like, Kaddish Baruch unbelievable miracle, 12 turn into one. One pillow is all I ask for. One pillow. That's all I need. And he didn't give me even one pillow. It's hard as a rock. I tore a callus because I just woke up this way. And you're telling me that Kaddish Baruch was with me at all times? Even then. Even then. Even then, says the Ramban, Kaddish Baruch was there. You know what he was doing? He's lying down on the ground and he says, God, you come to me. He said the people are having trouble and problems and issues wherever they go. HaKadosh Baruch Hu goes to them. 
Yosef Sadiq has an issue with Ishus Potiphar, with Zleika, and he's sitting there and saying, what am I going to do? He goes in Lassus Malachu to be able to be together with Ishus Potiphar. At that time, when he's in doubt, the worst straits that you can imagine, he's so down on the ground, he's literally lying down, literally lying down on a bed with Zleika. At that moment, who appears to him? His father. Because Yaakov, you know, Davin, being asked, somebody to level up even when I'm in the worst possible state. And that is the concept of what it means if a person hits rock bottom, that all of a sudden you start bottoming out. You start going back the other way. It's, there's no way otherwise. It was the blood of Yaakov, you know, and it comes from this idea, and that's the point behind it. Everything's like that. And Rebel Yasha really talks about this as well. He's the one that brings down the question of how did I put far from not make him a pillow? It's Tishaba of night. This is the night of Tishabot. He sleeps on the Makkah Mikdash, and the Makkah Mikdash is going to be destroyed not once but twice. And he's sitting there and he's crying. And from this, by the way, you should know, there's a minute for us to not sleep as well as we normally do on Tishabot. If Yaakov you know, put a rock under his head, which is abnormal, we should act abnormal in our sleep when it comes to Tishabot night. I remember when... I was once, I, I don't remember where I was, the third, fourth year, something like that, and I said to Ramosha Lairfield that I wasn't feeling very well, and he asked me why. It was sometime in the summer. He asked me why, and I said, well, hey, since Tishabov, it just hasn't been the same. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, on Tishabov, I take away my pillows, and I sleep without any pillows, so, like, I'm just not used to it, so I don't sleep well, and then it's like, I basically don't sleep all night, and then I can't get back. Ramosha Lairfield looks at me, and he's like, you sleep on a bed? On Tishabov? <laughs> and I was like, uh... No. <laughs> what do you sleep on? And maybe that's what I meant. And he told me, you're supposed to sleep on the floor. And I'm like, you serious? Oh, gosh. <laughs> so I've been sleeping on the floor since I talked to Ramosha Lairfield. I'm still not catching up on that. It is horrid. Absolutely horrid. You ever try sleeping on the floor? Don't. It's like sleeping on a rock. We don't. We don't. We don't. I don't know if you've been camping before. Don't do that either. <laughs> There's something called a motel for a reason. You can, you can, you can slum it there. There, there. there are quite a bit of slums. And it's called a hostel here in Israel. That's a little bit worse than sleeping on the ground. So either way, that's, that's that. What the other actually says, that's our whole world. Our whole world is mixed in with good and bad. Every time there's something good going on, there's always that little bit of raw that gets mixed in. You have to be able to separate the good from the bad and understand that even within the bad, there's still the good and there's still something that's there. Hakash Baruch gives a din like no other. And when it comes to this, it goes something very simple. I don't necessarily want to say this. Just know, when a Kurdish Baruch makes a din and somebody has something happen to him, it doesn't mean that that person himself is different. Let me give you an example. Um, you may have heard about a case that's going on in America right now. I happen to be a football fan, and I shouldn't be, but I am. And uh, Adrian Peterson. You heard what Adrian Peterson did? Took a switch and started beating his kids? It's good. Don't do that. So he, he beat up his kids so badly that his kid had to go to the hospital. Okay, so he's a football player. His kid is four. It makes sense that the kid has to go to the hospital. It makes sense that Adrian Peterson is one of the stupidest people of all time. So I, he didn't get it. It was amazing. He didn't absolutely didn't get it when people told him that he was being suspended for the year from football, that he wasn't going to be able to play in football. So they told him, they said, you're not going to be able to play in football whatsoever. You know what he said? Adrian Peterson said? He said, but, but I didn't do anything that my parents didn't. Didn't, didn't do to me. You're not getting it, dude. It's a different world. It's a different world. You may have been beaten senseless. And because of that, you are the great man that you are today. Okay? And I'm sure you couldn't have been better if you wouldn't have been beaten up with a switch. But nonetheless, you did that to your kid. Right? That's not what we do. This is not what we do. So to give that as a little bit of a muscle. If Adrian Peterson is being punished, you look at that and you say to yourself, well, hold on a second. That's just a punishment for Adrian Peterson, right? No. Coach Barkle takes everything into account. A judge can only take one thing into account and that's it. When it comes to this whole idea, it's amazing. Look at the din that has to be there. 
the Minnesota Vikings had to pay his salary for seven games even though he never played. That means the Minnesota Vikings, the whole organization was punished along with Adrian Peterson. The Minnesota Vikings fans, I don't know why they exist, but they exist, right? (laughs) They're all there in Minnesota, and they didn't get to see Adrian Peterson play. So every single one of them are also punished, along with Adrian Peterson. Now think about it this way. Bears fans, when they were able to play Minnesota, won. Now the Bears have a terrible team, but Minnesota has a worse team because they don't have their star running back because they're spending $20 million on one guy who can't play because he beat up his kid. That means every Bears fan deserved to have a win every single one of them, in order for that to happen. Think of that din. How in the world does a country park will make any din happen? There's trillions of things to take into account. A person goes to jail. A person goes to jail. It's not only him. It's his mother, his father, his sisters, his brothers, his kids, his wife, his friends. The whole jail system, everyone is punished along with him. It's the whole thing. You can't just punish one guy. There's no such thing. That's the way that a Kurdish Park runs the world, and it all goes together with that. That's number one. Number two, Yaakov Veni says his sulam is the gematria of the word sam kill, ha sam kill, referring to the sulam. I don't like saying the names of Malachan. We're allowed to say the names of Malachan with Grafal, Gabriel, Michal. The ones that we use are Uriel. Tanmin Hagen, the Likutim, the third, third page in the Likutim says that you shouldn't name the names of Malachan that we don't normally use, like Samach Mem Al-Islamid. Not the best type of words we'll be Even though Rashi says it, I don't like saying it all together. Either way, Yaakov is afraid of the suffering. He's afraid of what's going to be. He's going out into another world, somewhere he hasn't been. He's been his whole life together with the Abbas or Nishiba saying Yeshiva's Aver. He's never been a part. Now all of a sudden he's going there. He's afraid of the stuff and being away. He didn't know what he was going to do. He was legitimately scared. He was worried of what was going to be in that case. The Malachim were in a dream showing him, don't worry. Anything that something can do, I'm going to take care of, and that's number two. And it goes for us as well. You don't have to worry about anything because the Baruch is taking care of us wherever we go. Number three, Bala Turin says that the, Gemara, the word suwan is saying gematri as cold, as in a voice, that you can daven, you have the ability to daven, you have the ability to give something out. Now, here's the idea behind this. You have to be, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, you have to always have a Kaddish Baruch in mind wherever you go. That that feel has to be there. And the Sulam is referring to the fact that everybody has a coal. You all have the ability to daven at any point whatsoever. Now, just like a ladder has rungs that you have to climb up, it's the exact same thing with Tfilah. You can't go anywhere just overnight and all of a sudden become something. For example, Mashlich Karacho Kifitim. Who knows what that means? Like... Uh, like arrows, not bad. Crumbs also works. Fitim because a fitim would have been crumbs. So I'll go with that. Very good. Now, what did that mean? Why is God throwing his ice like crumbs or arrows? And who throws crumbs? <laughs> what does that mean? Okay, ki gul chish vanaufa. Anybody on that one? Now, this is a hard one because you don't see it every day. You only see it every Shabbos. Pretty good, right? Yeah, flying away is good. Right? Time gets cut off and it flies away. How about this one? Anybody know Brish Shemayin? Let me just take a guess on this one, okay? You get up to it and you're just like, Brish Shemayin. They are not rocky. Of course, you get to that, right? What does they are not rocky mean? I believe it. I believe. It's close. It's close. It's close. Belief is close to the actual word. So a lot of people that I've said, have asked this to over the past couple of years have always told me, Banner Rockies and him I wash. <laughs> 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 I 
That's right, dude. You're saying it correctly. I wash in God. That is exactly what you're saying. It's in God I trust. It's on your money. Dollars, not stone. Stone doesn't believe in God, but God, dollars. At least in America, we still believe in God a little bit in our money, and the money system somewhat has to do with that. You probably know what e pluribus unum means, but you don't know what brishma means. You have no idea what brishma means. It's unbelievable, right? Our tefillah is so sad and pathetic. If I would name certain lines from t- from Tachnun, you probably would have no idea that it exists. And you know why? Because no one likes doing Tachnun. No one. If it's a day when you're missing Tachnun, you are up there, if you're jumping up, and you're like, this is the greatest day in the world. If it's Monday and Thursday, you are high-fiving everyone in the room. If there's a possible bris, if there's something going on, you're just like, oh, it's like you're davening. So I could just borrow and miss it. You know, there's a Rebbe in Skoke Yeshiva who always told me that the amount of simcha that people have when there's no taknun should be enough simcha to make sure that you never say taknun your entire life. That makes it a yomtif. When it, there is no taknun, that is the day of yomtif. It's amazing. The chassidim have it right. It's absolutely amazing. What ends up happening? It's so sad. We're, we're lost in our tefillah. Tell me, do you guys do slichos in Hebrew? And if you do, why? Why? Because the front thing to do? Do you have any idea what you're saying? You're supposed to be asking God for forgiveness. You have no clue what you're saying. You're reading poetry. You don't know what poetry means in English, let alone what it means in Hebrew. What about Kinos? Kinos on Tisha B'Av. I, I, I came out, I was a little bit teary-eyed after Kinos, and that's hard for me, because it only happens when I see like Mufasa dying in The Lion King, so it's difficult for me to get to that point. But like, well, I was teary-eyed after reading Kinos one year, and the guy comes up to me and says, what were you crying about? I said, I was reading about the Asaru Gimalpus, Rabbi Akiva, and I said, I've been tracking, and it was hard, it was, it was difficult to be able to read about them. He's like, oh, I must have missed that one. You must have missed that one? How do you miss that one? How is that possible? He's like, oh, I think I remember saying the word Rabbi Akiva once. You did not remember saying the word Rabbi Akiva. You know what? He was reading it all the way through. I've never understood it. You know what I do? I do this now in Skokie because I think that it's one of the most important things in the world. I know Hebrew. I'm pretty good with Hebrew. I can't say that poetry is a little bit hard, but I, I know Hebrew pretty well. In the Avodah of the Kohen Gadol and Yom Kippur in Musaf, for those who are second year and up, you know what I'm talking about. right? So in Yom Kippur Musaf, so it says, we go through the entire Avodah of, the, of, of Yom Kippur, and it goes through from one to the other. I say the entire thing in English out loud. When everybody else is quiet and everybody's doing it in Hebrew, I say the entire thing out loud in English. And it sounds really funny. And the Kohen goes into the sanctuary. Kodesh. Right? And goes through. And I read the entire thing out loud. And I try to get other people to do it. And finally, I have a little bit of a following. There's like the little guys behind me that are just like, oh, that makes more sense. And everybody's reading it out loud in English. It makes more sense. Now, granted, there are certain things that you have to do in Hebrew. That takes a rub and that takes a post-it to be able to decide what you have to do in Hebrew or not. But if you don't know what you're doing in davening, you're not going to continue davening in the same way. Or you're going to do it in such a way where you're just going to be like, oh, whatever. And you're going to get through davening the way it is. Figure out what you're doing. Spend a week on Bar Shama. Spend a week on Ms. Morlisota. Spend a week on Yehichabod. Just look at them. Just look at the tefillos. And by the end of the year, if you go up rung by rung by rung, if you little, little by little, you'll have a tefillah that you actually can be proud of. You'll have a tefillah where you'll look at yourself and you'll be able to say to yourself, I know what I'm saying and I know why I'm saying it. There are certain parts you just don't know. Do you know what Aleinu is? Aleinu being makabo upon myself, Omaf Lushamayim said that the rest of the world knows that I am a Jew and they are not, and that everything they do isn't there. That's the first paragraph. And that I am trying to be attacking the world, Tikkun Olam, not like the JUF, in some way that able to make the world happen in such a way that I can literally fix up the entire world. That's Al-Kinagata. That's what I'm doing. 
But everybody is just sitting there. You're already kicking off your chilling. You get a little bow inside there. You're living at and you're done. It's so sad because we don't know what to is. That's the sulam. The sulam is to remind ourselves what the call is and how to be able to go through. I have a story from Balshamta, but I think I'm going to skip it for right now. But that's the concept. The concept is that you have to learn how to dive. Number three. Number four, I'm sorry. Ben Yishchai says that Sulam stands for the Parnas of a Jew. Sulam is the same gematria as Mamon. You know, Som, Kol, and Mamon are the same gematria as Sulam. So I could really go through all that, but we'll go into Mamon. Your Parnas can go up and down. It's not easy. When you see a person who has Parnas, and it's not exactly easy, no matter what you do, there's always a possibility that you're going to go way up or way down very quickly, and you have no clue what's going to be there. And it's only telling what a Kaddish Baruch wants. See, here's the idea, says Mario. You have to be Sulam Mutsavarsa, standing with your feet on the ground, the ability to be able to stand there and do what you need to do in order to make a parnasa to be able to pay for whatever you need. And then your head should be up there in Shemaim. You know what your work day should be like? It shouldn't be that during your Shemona Esra you're thinking about everything else. It should be that during your work you're thinking about your Shemona Esra. That's the way it should be. While you're in the middle of work you should be able to stop there right in the middle and be like that's shot in rubber. Now I understand what rubber is. That's why a Jew cannot go to work the same way a non-Jew goes to work. You can't go to work in that you wake up in the morning and you shower and you brush your teeth and you go downstairs, you have breakfast, you have your coffee, and then you walk out, door, out your door and you, go, you end up going to work for the next 8, 9, 10 hours. That's not how we work. You have to dive and you have to learn. You can't go around any other way. There's no way you're going to be successful at work. There's no way you're going to be successful at life if you don't add in that little bit of learning, that little bit of diving to start off your day to make it something worthy. It's not going to work. It's not going to work any other way. And that applies for me as well. I can't go without my, my own learning before I start teaching others. I can't be a Rebbe if I don't get my own Lima Torah in. So I make sure that after davening, I have my own Lima, aside from a Lachas Seder. I try to make sure I have my own Lima that I finish up, that I do on my own, and I get it down 15, 20 minutes, whatever it needs to be, to make sure that I have something down before I go into my work day. Because who knows what's going to be over the day? How, many, how, how much can I possibly learn when I'm teaching other people? I know you think that's sad. What do you mean? teaching other people. It's unfortunate. It's not always that you're learning. It's sometimes you have to go over Ashkapa. Sometimes you're doing Mutzar. That's not necessarily Talmud Torah. I need my own learning before I do anything else. And that's the important part of it. To know your Rosho should always be Magia Shemayim. Listen. I, I, I happen to have a lot of things in my head from when I was a kid and I still remember. I, there's almost anything that anyone can say that reminds me of a Simpsons line from when I was a kid. Still remind me. I haven't seen the Simpsons since 1997. You know how long it is? That's like their 23rd season, right? And I, I still, it's still inside my head. Haven't seen one show. And nonetheless, they're all there. And if you would ask me to sing some of the songs, I have every single one of them inside my head. Every single one. They're all there. And if you would just start one off, I would be done. I would just be singing along with you, and I, I'd probably even be into it. It would be like, for me, it's like the you love Young Kipper. <gasps> and I'm sitting there singing it. It's sad. You know how much I used to love Chuck Norris jokes? How much? You know how many times they pop up in my head? I just thought of one right now. <laughs> Chuck Norris was once a paper boy. There were no survivors. <laughs> Good, right? I've got a bunch of them. They don't go away. These things aren't there. See, the key is to keep them away from your Shimon Esri, for your Shimon Esri to be on something else, for it to be completely different. It, it's just... It, uh, it's, it's gone. That's what it means, get your head up there in Shemayim to be able to understand what it has to be. And you've got to make sure that your Parnassah is clean. 
that your Rosh Magiyash Maimah means that it's clean. A guy came up to me this past year. We made more money than we expected to. My wife started a private practice, and we made more money than we expected. So we went to our accountant. Ended up being that our tax, whatever, they ended up taxing the thing that we had, ended up being much less than I thought it was going to be. We ended up getting a tax refund, but it was much less than it used to be. So we went to our accountant, and we said, what's wrong? The guy told me, he said, look, you know, this is what happened. You ended up putting in this, and you got yourself into a new, bra- new bracket. We need a new bracket, especially in America. It's, it kind of encourages you to be poor, right? But when you get to the new bracket, you end up getting less money back, or you end up having to pay more money. That's what ends up happening. It's just the truth of life. So I said, that's so, I mean, that's crazy. So what do these other people do? They said, well, they kind of abuse the system. And they told me, if you really want, what I can do is just like this and go through that. And I'm just like, is that legal? And he's like, sort of. I said, well, how could that be? How is it possible? How is it shaykh? I don't mean to say it this way because I know that everybody has their own set of misiones that they have to do. How is it shaykh? That you're sitting in Kola, and I used to have this when I lived in Kola here, and you got a tax break, even though in theory I was getting money from my parents. How could I get a tax break for that? How is that legal? If I would go there and I would say, I have money from my parents, I just don't want to give it to you. Do you think they'd accept that? How is that shaykh? It, just, it doesn't work that way. You have to make sure your pranasa is clean and that everything you do is clean. And it's difficult to be able to understand that, but how are you going to go? And that obviously takes a posik as well, but to understand that something is going to be, you have to know what you're going to do with it. The Dr. Kane says, Sulam is a gematra of Sinai. Take out the bug and it's a gematra of Sinai. And here's the shot behind it. So remnants of the Torah being given at our Sinai and how it was given. That it's children will be able to reach the greatest levels by being able to learn and daven, etc., being able to go up all that level. But Sam Silver says, Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron Akoy were the ones that were climbing up, and Yisachar and Zvulim were the ones coming down. Down, bringing the Torah down to us. That's the idea. See, Moshe and Aaron lived at a time when they had the mud, the air, the Yanani, and everything was taken care of for them. Yisrochlin's woman needed a relationship where in order for them to live, one of them was able to learn all the time. The other one was only able to learn a little bit of the time. This woman was able to take care of Yisrochlin. Those two relationships allow for one, to go up, to bring yourself up to Shemayim, and to bring what needs to be done down here to allow the Shepha to come back down here. Why was this given to him now, says Moshe Feinstein? Why was this Sulam, the whole dream given to him right now, Ramosh Feinstein says something so simple. Till now he's in Yeshiva Sefer. Guys, when you're in Yeshiva, you're not part of the real world. You're not part of it. You know why you're not part of it? You're in Olam Haba. I know it doesn't seem that way because you're still sitting in hard chairs and the food is not like Olam Haba food. You'd expect Olam Haba food to be a little bit better and not just Barekos. I understand that. But nonetheless, they still serve those little hot dogs that are put inside but they're not really hot dogs. So I've had the soy dogs. Oh my God, that was my favorite dinner. So, yeah. Yeah, now I'm remembering some of the lunches also. It's good times. They still have that pizza, sort of. <laughs> still have it, right? It was today. It's good times. Oh, that's delicious. So anyway, I, I, it's a different world. You're literally sitting in a lamhaba all day long. You're not worrying about other things. You're able to sit and learn. How long does that happen for anyone? How, how long does it happen for a person to be able to just literally just do what the world was created for without any worries in the world? You should call up your parents and thank them every single day. You should call them up and say, Mom, Dad, I appreciate everything you're doing for me. You're welcome. <laughs> well, that's awkward. Guys, <laughs> this is the first time that I've actually attributed that to my dad. I'm just saying, I do work. Yeah, I'm not going to go on anymore. But I, did, I do appreciate every single day. You want to take over my car paintings in my house? <laughs> I'm fine with that. That's perfectly fine. I have no problem with that. But this is Olam Haba. It's 100% Olam Haba. It's a different world. And when you're in Olam Haba, you can't appreciate what Hakadosh Baruch was doing for you because you don't realize it. Only when Yaakov left Olam Haba, slept for the very first time, put himself down, and said, "Here's what I'm going to do." Only at that moment. 
to the Kaddish Baruch did Yaakov you know, get this dream to realize that everything's coming from a Kaddish Baruch and you have to realize that everything's coming from there that's the concept the Tzish says he woke up and he was upset he's like oh if only I would have prepared everything could have been better you don't understand says the Tzish exactly you don't need to prepare sometimes a Kaddish Baruch who takes care of you he's going to make sure that you get what you need at every time that's the idea behind it and our last thing it's for Moshe Wolfson but we're going to add on a bunch to what he says over here it's first on the Mariel you have to know that everything you do has an effect in Shemite. I don't want to use the little Matrix thing. I, I think there are people that use the Matrix as like an example. I've never seen the movie, never want to see the movie, never want to use it as an example to anything. The way it goes is, is that everything you do on earth has an effect up in Shemite. You move your arm, something happens in Shemite. You learn Torah, something happens in Shemite. You forget to make a bracha, something happens in Shemite. Everything you do has an effect. That there's literally something that goes on at every given moment of every day, which means everything you do is important. There is nothing that anyone here can do that doesn't affect other parts of the world. I'm not trying to say that hurricanes in the world are caused by you missing chakras. It's definitely possible, but I'm not going to say that that's the direct effect. I'm not going to tell you that Ebola is going crazy in Africa because a bunch of people ditched night theater tonight and went to town because the Roshiva is out of town. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to blame Ebola on them. But I wouldn't be surprised if up there in Shemayim that was the, the effect. The effect is one person was affected because some people ended up doing something that they shouldn't have done. You have to understand, literally every movement you make affects not only you, but your children and other people in the world at the exact same time. That's the sulam. There are malachim watching over you every single day, every single time. I sing on Friday night, And it's not a joke, that's a line given to Yaakov, you know, malachim are watching over you in every path, everything you do. You have malachim that are surrounding you at all times, Seth Revolson. It's not a joke. Yaakov, you know, has to learn this lesson right now to know, don't waste your time. And he made sure, when he went out into the fields, he used it as he spoke to us. He went out into the fields and watched over sheep, but he used that time, utilized that time, and he understood. Now that I have this time, I can create things. He created Tehillim during that time. Not all the Kapitulach of Tehillim. There were certain Kapitulach that were made by Yaakov when he was in the field together with the sheep. Tell me, honestly, do you think that the Torah is going to waste time writing 13 psukim about how Yaakov made spotted and striped and brown sheep? Isn't that a waste of space? What do I care how to make spotted and striped and brown sheep? What does anyone care? Why would anybody want that? We're not going up against Blavon. It's because every single thing that Yaakov Inu did was for a reason. He had Torah behind it and he understood it from something that Akash Baruch wanted. He understood. Everything he did was with Amach Shavah. Something behind it. Why am I going to be a lawyer? Why am I going into Koa? Why am I going to be a Rebbe? Why? Ask yourself that question. Find, you'll find crazy answers. Am I doing it for Cabo? Am I doing it because I think that I'm going to make money? I'm going to tell you right now. For the ready part, that's not a good reason. I'm just telling you. It's not going to happen so much. Maybe the lawyer then. But we're inundated with lawyers also. So I don't know if that's such a good idea either. Think about it. Put yourself to task and say, what am I doing with my life and why am I doing this? Because I'm telling you, there's no other way to be able to get around. Caduceus Lady says that more clear than anybody else goes around and he says you want to really be somebody who's out there your whole goal in life is to be able to make the Kiddush Hashem I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a story and we're going to end with this um, I went to Nashville, Tennessee this past Shabbos why did I go to Nashville, Tennessee? well definitely not by choice but uh, I have a cousin on my wife's side that ended up uh, none of my cousins on my wife's side are from at all and he ended up accidentally marrying a Jew she ended up being a conservative Jew, and Baruch Hashem, like everything worked out. My 
cousins were not mocked on that, and I have cousins that are now dating non-Jews, but this cousin said that he was, you know, he went out with his girl for a long time, and they ended up getting engaged, and we were so so proud. We wanted to show our pride by saying, we're going to be at your wedding no matter what. So they made it this past, this past Motzei Shabbos. It was after Shabbos started, after Shabbos ended, I'm sorry. So it was going to be on Motzei Shabbos. So the only way for us to be there was to be there for Shabbos. So Nashville has one shoal. It's not a shoal that I'm, I would normally dive in. It's a modern Orthodox shoal to the extreme. But it was a very interesting shoal, and I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I had to walk all together about 13 miles back and forth, one to the other, from the hotel to the thing to that and whatever it was. You know what we did? Well, I went into it and we said to ourselves, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make an unbelievable Kiddush Hashem. We're going to show everybody this is what it's like to be an Orthodox Jew. We walked to the Friday night dinner. We made sure that we had kosher meals that were prepared beforehand. Right? We had everything there. We were unbelievably respectful. I was careful enough not to shake any woman's hand. Now, I know there are vegetarian to be able to do such things, but I don't do that. So because of that, I don't want to do it. So I made sure. I got everything. I worked up until a point where the, the person who was in charge of the whole party came up to me and started rubbing my arm up and down and said, you know what I really love about that song? And I was like, moved away a little bit. She didn't get the hint. She grabbed onto me. thought that I was like falling or like fainting. And I'm just like, get off me. But it ended up working. Aside from that, it was good. I didn't shake her hand, right? I, at the end of the day, you know what happened? And honestly, this was the... This, I, you can't make a thing like this up. We're going there. Nashville is a very religious city. There are 600 churches in a city of 600,000 people. 600 churches in the city itself, just in the city alone. It's an unbelievably religious city. I, I don't think I've seen anything like it. Literally, it's church after church after church. Now, you've seen church after liquor store after church after liquor store. Those are usually not the good neighborhoods that you want to be around. This is not like that. This is just church after church after church. And it was an amazing place in, you know, and how, they, how many people there were. So what happened? We went to this wedding and we went to the reception. The reception was not what I, you know, obviously, well, what am I going to do, right? So I, there was a woman singing. I wouldn't look up the entire time. I had to walk out quite a bit. All right, what can you do, right? It was mixed dancing. I know it looks like I'm a great mixed dancer. I, I am. I am. I really am. I, I just I don't like showing off. So I didn't get on that dance floor, even though everybody else was uh, uh, boogieing down, right? They were definitely playing songs from my youth, which is great. I heard My Girl twice, which is great. I haven't heard that song since 1963. So I, I, uh, it, was, it, was, it was difficult. It was difficult. But we had our kosher meals. We sat down. We had an rapport with my other cousins. We've never been able to sit down with them and talk to them and explain to them why we were there and why we were so happy and everything. My brother-in-law, who's, thank God, dating a Jew, we were so proud. We were so happy to get involved. And at the end of the wedding, this waitress comes up to us and she says, you should know I've been watching you the entire time, both you and your wife the entire time. And I just want you to know, you two are different from everyone else in the room. So I said, no, Okay. I am wearing a beard. <laughs> Anybody else was there, right? Except for maybe a few women, but there wasn't any other people there. No, don't worry. They were the rabbis. So I, I, I said, like, I don't, I don't think there's much else there, right? But she said, no, seriously, there's something about you guys that's different. So I got all serious. I realized that this person was really, you know, looking for something. So I said, listen, do you believe in God? She said, yes. I said, do you pray to God? She said, yes. I said, do you pray to God every day? She said, no, I don't pray to God every day. I said, if you pray to God every day, you're going to have this aura. You're going to have that idea, that concept of being different from other people. Pray to God. I said, while you're doing your work, go ahead, when you're putting this stuff down on the table, say, thank you, God, for allowing me to do this work. When you finish the day, say, thank you, God, for allowing me to be that way. And I got all serious with her, and I told her, that's the way to be. You want to be a special person, thank God for it. Now, I didn't want to go into the details of the dad, not the son. I didn't want to say that, right, or get into stuff like that. You get that? <laughs> it took a while. 
Yeah, she didn't get it either. So I, I, it, I didn't want to get into details, but the fact is, is that that's the way we can be. So here's what the Tzumon Mutavarta means. Aside from all the other things involved, it means I am standing on the ground, my head is up in Shemaim, and I'm willing to work hard to become the person that I know I can be. Make a Kiddush Hashem. Become a Kiddush Hashem. That wherever you go, you can do everything in the world. Now here's the deal. I, uh, I have an email list that goes out on Thursday night. I've noticed that, I don't know if, uh, if anybody else notices this, nobody ever, ever checks their Torah emails. You notice that? Ever? They might say they do, and they say like, oh yeah, I saw it. They didn't see it. So nobody ever does that. What I do is I send out a message of the week. Those who have been here before or have signed up for it, you know what I'm talking about. It's sometimes a weird message, I'll be honest. It deals with most or sometimes it has something to do with the partial, but it's usually just a random idea, something that, had, something that comes up, whatever it is. And it's usually about a paragraph long, so it's not too long to read, you definitely don't have to scroll down in order to get there. If you want to sign up for it, so you just have to put your name right over here, put your email address, your email address, more than that. If you want to talk to me about going to Yeshiva, obviously, for Skokie Yeshiva, this is after you do your six years here, but after finishing all that, if you end up deciding that Skokie Yeshiva is the right place for you, so I haven't given you anything about the Yeshiva yet. There are other people coming in that are going to talk about the Yeshiva at some point when it's later on in the year when you're actually deciding and saying what to do. If you have any questions, I'm here for you. And right now, this thing is up here with the 7,000 tape recorders. So if anybody wants to sign up for it, thank you so much for coming, guys. And the receiver told me to remind everyone, chakras tomorrow morning is still at 725. So that is that. I said 725. Nothing to do. 725. Sleep in five minutes. Right. Right. How are you? Yeah. Okay. Oh, no, it's not here. Okay. I'm not going to do much here.